excited to be here this morning. I, uh, I'm stirred up. It doesn't take a lot for me to get stirred up. I get it from my dad, actually. My dad, if you guys can meet my father, he is naturally wound up all the time about the Lord. He's a natural, what I call, born evangelist. I could never ride anywhere with my dad, including a drive through to McDonald's, Walmart, without him witnessing or trying to bring somebody to the Lord. I mean, it just was in him, but he gets so excited. But I get that from him. Um, I want to I wanna talk to us this morning. I actually want to just jump right in. And uh, I really have a word that I felt like was, was really timely and important for all of us this morning. As I was preparing, I asked the Lord, like, what do you want to reveal? What do you want to release here? And he gave me one word that was really clear. And it was the word ambition. Ambition. And so I want to talk to us this morning about this word, ambition. And how to recognize when our ambition is godly or become selfish or self-centered. Because a lot of times we don't know the difference between the two. So I wanna really jump into this and share how to recognize the difference between selfish ambition and godly ambition. Let me first of all say this. Do you know that not all ambition is bad, right? Not all ambition is wrong. Even the Bible uses Ambition, a positive, a few positive times in Scripture that we'll look at it in a minute. But when you look at the New Testament, the Greek word for ambition, you know what it means? It's a very simple definition. It actually means to attain a goal. How many in here have already set goals for 2024? Right? We set goals and we reach out to attain them. That, by definition, is one of the meanings of ambition in the New Testament. It's actually to set a goal and go after it. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? But Bible also says that our ambition could actually not be godly. It could actually become selfish. It can become self-centered. And so Paul warns about this numerous times. One of the most famous passages is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Check that passage out. This is one that always got me. He said, do nothing. And I'm pretty sure nothing means nothing. That means don't do anything anything. How hard is that, isn't it? Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. And so I want to unpack this about ambition. And let me start here with selfish ambition. That's how the Bible defines it. Can I define it another way for us personally? You know what I think selfish ambition is? Are you ready? It's when we try to attain the promise of God on our life in our own effort. That's when our ambition actually steeps into more self-centered and self-focused. It's when we try to attain God's promise, God's plans, God's uh, ways, things that he's promised you, but we try to do it in our own effort. Another way to look at this is what Paul said to the Galatians. Remember that? He said, oh, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, you are trying to finish in the flesh, what God started in the spirit. I actually think this is the number one reason why leaders fall. Think about it. It's the one and number one reason why leaders fall, and even believers, all believers. I mean, I can't tell you how many, guys, how many times, guys, I've seen somebody start out on fire, like burning for God, going after it, but then along the way, they burn out. Along the way, they fall away. They bail out. Things get too hard. They get too difficult and they don't make it. And if you get really to the root of it, it really comes back to this one thing. 
We try to finish in our own strength and efforts what God started in our life through his Holy Spirit. And the journey is having to go through life, learning how to depend and trust him with everything, with everything. So ambition, selfish ambition walks on two legs. Pride and envy are the legs of selfish ambition. Godly ambition has two other legs, and that is humility and submission. And now when I think of ambition, I have to go to the origins of it and when it all began. And so I want to talk to us this morning real quick about Lucifer and the fall from heaven. But before we get there, can we put up this first point? I want to go through five practical tools and ways to help us discern how to keep our ambition in a good spot. Number one, I encourage you, if you're taking notes today, write this down. When our ambition becomes selfish, our sense of worth is always defined by the next big thing. Our sense of security is always defined by the next big thing that's coming into our life. The next job, the next opportunity, the next move, the next relationship, the next thing. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying it's not even right to get excited about that. But what I am saying is if we give too much excitement to that, if we give too much value to that, that could actually define our worth and value. But godly ambition is when our sense of worth is found in the day-to-day task of life. That's what I actually heard Mark just say in part of his testimony, right? So let's talk about the origin of ambition. I don't know if anyone here has ever been part of a really hard church split, but I know I have, especially from my church in North Carolina. I mean, that church split three times. I didn't think a church could split three times. That one split three times. How many know that church hurt can be obviously the worst hurt? My gosh. Pain runs deep, right? Can I tell you the first church split that ever happened? Recorded in church history? What if I told you it wasn't in earth? The first church split that actually ever happened happened in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him. I want us to go to Isaiah 14. Look at this passage in Isaiah 14, 12, 14, because this is one of the passages that opens us up to show us what was inside Lucifer's heart when he rebelled against God. Because I know a lot of us think, well, yes, pride, right? Pride is the thing that caused him to fall. Well, that's absolutely true. But I think there's more to it than just pride. And this passage, it shows us something a little bit more at play. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, who are weakened, who you weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I want you to God, I want you guys to catch this. Anytime in scripture, when a phrase is repeated, it's very, very important. Let's see if you can find the phrase that's repeated here multiple times. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation and on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It doesn't take rocket scientists, but did you catch the phrase that was repeated? What was the phrase? I will. I will. I will. Five times. Lucifer says in his heart, not in his words, mind you, but in his heart, I will ascend 
the throne of God. In other words, I will assume a position that is not granted to me. I will go and covet that position that's not mine. And so Lucifer, his heart is full of ambition, but his ambition is not godly anymore. It becomes self-centered and self-focused. And what that looks like, it looks like when we desire the position of someone else in our life, how dangerous is that? Listen to what I'm saying. When we covet the position of someone else, when we desire the position of a leader in our life, when we desire the position of a boss in our life or a supervisor, when we that desire that position and God has not given us authority for that position, we are in danger of walking in the same footsteps as Lucifer. We are in danger for our ambition walking on pride and envy instead of walking on humility and submission, right? And so that's really, really important to note. So what happened to Lucifer? Well, he's looking for the next big thing. He's looking for himself to, to take on that next big role in his mind, in his heart. He's seeing this as a, a new opportunity that he could send the heel of the Lord and become like God, take God's position. See, listen, guys, at his core, Lucifer is a religious spirit. He doesn't want to destroy the world. He wants to rule it. He desires to be worshiped. He desires to be magnified and exalted just like God. That's at his heart, at the core of who he is. But don't you find it interesting? This phrase, I will, is combated by the Lord when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he goes to the cross, Jesus does not want to do it. That's clear. He's struggling. And what does he say? Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What if Jesus is correcting what Lucifer initiated? What if Jesus is showing us that this is how it's to be done? And he's actually reversing what Lucifer intended and started. Guys, that is the champ. That's our champion. That is our God. That is our savior, that he literally was so, that's a perfect picture that Jesus did have a godly ambition, but his ambition walked on the two legs of humility and submission and did not veer off to pride and envy. What are you saying? I'm saying that when we look to the next biggest thing in our life to fill our worth and our value, we are in danger for our godly ambition to start walking on pride and envy to get us to a place and a position that God doesn't want us to go to yet. But if we can let the test of preparation come in our life and we yield to wherever he's planted us, oh, there's such a reward in that. See, this is what Paul says about ambition in the New Testament. Listen to this in Philippians, not Philippians, but in 1 Thessalonians, I believe it is. Check this verse out. 4 verse 11, Paul uses ambition in a positive sense. He said, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. I think if you go to verse 10, he says, this is ambition to live a quiet life. Wow. Paul is saying, listen, godly ambition, godly ambition is actually found in how well me and you discover him in the ordinary, mundane, day-to-day -day tasks of life. 
how well do we discover God when we're taking out the trash? That's been hard for me over the years. I don't know what it is. It's like in the marriage clause. It's unspoken. The husband has to take out the trash. Isn't that right? Amen. 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 Live now. God. I mean, honestly, we've had several arguments over that, have we, Amber? I don't even want to look at her right now. <laughs> I can feel her. I can feel those eyes. Right? Why we 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 don't think to find God in these little monotonous things of life, but in the reality, what Paul is teaching us, what Paul is saying, he's saying the more you can discover God when changing diapers. The more you can discover God when you're watching the game with your friends, the more you can find God in the pleasures of these little daily tasks that we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, then your identity, your self-security, your sense of worth will actually be rooted and grounded in a healthy way. So that whatever circumstance in your life comes, whether it's a big opportunity or a closed door, it's not going to shake who you are. Because your ambition is godly. It's secure. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news. All right? So remember that. Our ambition to remain godly really depends on how well we find his presence in the ordinary days of life. Number two, look at this one. When our ambition becomes selfish, failure is overwhelming to us. But when our ambition is godly, failure becomes an opportunity for growth and maturity. Listen, when failure, if failure for us is overwhelming, if the thought of failing at whatever it is you're doing in your life is terrifying you, it's overwhelming you, even the fear of failure, it's an indicator that your desire, your ambition is actually a little bit more tipping to self-interest and self-focused than godly. When my ambition becomes self-focused, you know what happens? Fear dominates my life. Fear rules my life. And then I end up operating out of fear instead of faith. But I don't know about you this morning, and I may just be preaching to myself, but I've been through too much. I've went through too much. I've experienced too much. God has brought me too far to let failure or the fear of it to have the final word of my life. I believe that's a word for some of you here this morning. You've been through too much. You've lost too much. I feel and sense some of you here in this room have experienced loss in the last two and three years that has crippled you. There has been grief upon grief because of what you have lost in your life and that failure in fear has been daunting. But hear the Lord this morning. I encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Do what you have to do. Confess whatever you need to confess. Repent of whatever you need to repent of. But get up, brush yourself off and move forward. Failure will not have the last word in your life. Failure will not have the last word in your life, only if we let it. You see, but when our ambition is rooted in a godly and a holy pursuit of him, then failure does not rule us, but failure becomes an opportunity for us to grow, to mature, and to move deeper into our life with God and what he has for us. 
Man, I don't know about you, but to me, that is good news. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying failure can become your greatest teacher if you allow it. Failure will teach you more than experience. Failure will teach you more than your professors, than a book, than a case study. Failure has the opportunity and the possibility to teach you so much about your life, about God, and about other people. John Maxwell puts it this way. This is what he says. This is a quote from Maxwell. He goes, failure is our greatest teacher, but don't let it be your undertaker. Is failure this morning, is it your undertaker or is it your teacher? God Almighty, look at this verse, Proverbs 24, 16. The wisest man in the world. Listen to what he says about failure in God's kingdom. For the righteous fall, how many times? Has anybody ever fall seven times or more? Raise your hand, I'll put two up. I don't think there's anyone in this room that has failed more than me. That's a fact. For the righteous fall seven times, but what do they do? They rise again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. What is he saying? He is saying, you know what makes a righteous man righteous? It's not that he's perfect, and it's not even that he fails, but it's he gets back up when he falls down. The only way to lose in God's kingdom is to quit. It's the only way you lose is you quit. But if you keep getting up, it doesn't matter your failure, doesn't matter your mistake, doesn't matter how bad. If you keep getting up and move forward and confess, repent, and keep, go, keep going forward, you will always find a place at his table. The repentant always have a seat at God's table. Failure, is it your greatest teacher? God, let me share this story. I, I battled something one time. Right when I was getting ordained and licensed, I had to go through a two-year process when I, went li when I became licensed to preach and to be a minister. And in that whole process, I got uh, ordained in Orlando, Florida at a conference. And when I did, I, I reconnected with my childhood pastor that I hadn't seen in 20 years who lived in Orlando. And during the conference, I went over to his house when we had a break and we had a lunch together. And he knew me when I was a kid. I was saved under his ministry. He baptized me, but I hadn't seen him in 20 years or so. And so we went to his house and we had a really good time. And you know what he did? He said, I want to give you a gift. And he was a collector of watches. And he collected Invicta watches. And he said, he brought this whole thing. He said, you pick it. And so I picked out the one that I wanted, and it was beautiful. And I got the watch. I was really thankful. Didn't quite fully grasp what it meant, right? Go home the next day back in North Carolina at the time. And all of a sudden, I realized being with him began to surface a lot of memories, and I, used, I began to remember the purity of my life when I was young, but then I also remembered the 10-year run in my life that I was on cocaine and crack. I remember the 10-year on my run as a prodigal and how far I went away from God. And I began to be discouraged and distressed because people in my life at the time, my friends who were really doing a lot of the same things, to me felt so farther ahead. To me, it felt like what God was speaking to me and revealing to me, they were walking in. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And I felt way back here. And so I began to be filled with a lot of regret. 
And I begin to think, man, if I didn't veer off the path for those 10 years, if I didn't step into drugs, how much further would I be along in my life? How much further would I, where I would be? And the Lord began to speak to me and he basically began to rebuke me. And you know what he said? He said, Michael, he said, don't think that way. He said, that's not wise to think that way. He said, do you remember the watch? And I, and I looked at the watch I was wearing. He goes, I want you to remember one thing. This is, this is a word for somebody here this morning. He said, I am a God who redeems the time. And what the Lord showed me about how he redeems time in our life. He said, Michael, you think if you never went the drug route, if you never walked away, you'd be so much further in me and in your assignment. He said, but can I tell you what the reality is? He said, because of all those failures and the mistakes that you made when you turned to me with your whole heart, I actually rerouted your life and you're actually further along than you would have been had you not stepped into 10 years of mistake and failures. Ah! And that's for someone here this morning because I feel some of you are really battling regret right now. You're really battling the can you've been dealt with in life and you've been really mulling only. If I didn't make this mistake, if my father didn't walk out of my life, if I would have done this better, if someone didn't leave me, then my life would be so much better and it would be so much further along and put together. But the Lord says, don't think that way. Because he will redeem the time. And when your whole heart is given to him, he will reroute your life. And failure will become your springboard to advance you farther than you could ever imagine possible. That's how good God is. He can take your fear and failure and turn it into a springboard. Good Lord. Dang. That's bad English. But that's, I'm a doctor, I can say that. <laughs> I put my time in. But do you know what I mean? That's like, wow, Lord, you can do that. I am not the best with directions. When I first moved to Greenville, I, I was doing the GPS everywhere because in Greenville, there's like 20 ways to get somewhere. I wasn't used to that. I, I came from a grid city where it's like one way, <laughs> One day I said, I'm going to force myself to learn Greenville. So I turned off the GPS. I left this church to try to go to our house that was only 10 miles down the road on 85. 45 minutes later, I'm in a grocery store parking lot looking at Paris Mountain. And I'm thinking, I do not remember living this close to the mountain. <laughs> I ain't looking at Amber again because, again, she's like, mm hmm, that's right. That's right. <laughs> And I, I plugged in the GPS and you know what that thing did? It rerouted me. When you let him redeem the time in your life, he'll use failure to reroute you. Number three, how about this one? When our ambition becomes selfish, the goal becomes more important than the process. When our ambition is godly, though, submitting to the process becomes more important than reaching the goal. So many of us made this mistake. 
I have made this mistake. This is how I made this mistake. Are you ready? I allowed my assignment from God that was God-given to become more important along the way than my devotion to him. When our assignment from him becomes more important than our devotion to him, then we run the risk of our ambition to becoming more self-serving and self-focused than godly and pure. You know who else made this mistake in the Bible? Solomon. In our Bible class, we've been going over King Solomon. Listen to how Solomon made this mistake. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and as striving after the wind. Uh, Take a note here from Solomon's life. Do you know that Solomon, what he's saying is I've set goals. I've set every goal there is to set and I attained it. That's what Solomon is saying. I have set every human goal there is and I've attained it. Now hear me. It's right to set goals. It's not wrong to set goals, but it's what happens in the process that can get us in trouble. So Solomon said, I've set these goals. And and listen, think about it. Solomon attained more wealth than any other king in Israel's history ever. But it wasn't enough. He had to make political alliances with nations that led him away from God. Solomon, it said, had more pleasure than any other human being in life. I will remind us that the man was married, not to one wife, but 700 wives. I just am blown away of what that he would even, coming home from work, I mean, did they line up around the room? Like, could you imagine 700 wives? But it wasn't enough. He had to have 300 concubines. In our modern modern uh, language, that is 300 call girls. 300 girlfriends, mistresses on the side, making a grand total of 900 women. He had all the pleasure in the world, but it still wasn't enough. How about his wisdom that was beyond measure? His discernment, that wasn't enough because in the book, he actually turns away from God and walks away to serve other gods and build false idols. What is the point? What are you saying? I'm saying Solomon had everything. He achieved many of his goals, but he lost his soul in the process. Perhaps it was Solomon's mind when Jesus taught his disciples, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet lose his soul? To lose his soul Somewhere along the way, Solomon in the process to his goals, he lost it. And he allowed the goal to become more important than the process. In our life, if the goal becomes more important than the process, we will run the danger again of our ambition taking off on pride and envy. And it will lead us to a path that God has not intended for us. But when our ambition stays in submission and humility, then we will find ourselves enjoying the process in reaching the goal. And that's a good word. What we have to determine, what we have to guard is that desire in us. You see, 
A lot of times we can set really good goals, but if we're not careful, the process, the way there, we can compromise our integrity. We can compromise our own character, our own spirituality in order to attain the goal because it becomes so important, the dominant thing. But that is not right. We can't do that, can we? We have to protect that. We have to protect our character and our integrity, our spirituality. And how do we do that? It's we find joy, even though it's difficult sometimes. We find joy. We find God in the pain of life, in the processes of life, in the mess of life. The more we find him there, the more we will be satisfied. Here's good news about Solomon. You know, he gets there. Look at Ecclesiastes. Look at this in chapter 2, verse 24. In Ecclesiastes 2, 24. There is nothing better for a person. Listen to this wisdom. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find his enjoyment in his toil or his work. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Do you see what Solomon is saying? He's saying, listen, I've had all the pleasures. I've set all the big goals. I got them. But if you really want it, it's all vanity. But if you really want to know the meaning of life, enjoy dinner tonight with your family. Enjoy hanging out with your kids. Enjoy hanging out with your friends. Find God in the smallest details of life and enjoy the work that you put your hands to. Don't look at work as this is a job I have to do. Look at your work at this is an opportunity for me to serve the king and to worship him. He's saying that's where the meaning of life is. That's where the power of life is and how well we do that. Isn't that good news? Number four, we're wrapping it down. You're doing good. When our ambition becomes selfish, how about this one? We maneuver our relationships to get us to the place where we want to go. God Almighty. Whoo, this is a big one. When our ambition is godly, though, we value people, whether they are a benefit to us or not. Throw up Genesis 40. Did you know how I found this to happen in whose story I was really shocked? It was Joseph. Remember Joseph who got wrongfully imprisoned? Potiphar's wife sold in slavery to his brothers. Something happens in Joseph's story here where he does it. I want, us to, I want to show you this. When Joseph is in prison, two guys, a cupbearer and a, and a baker have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. He interprets the cupbearer's dream. And when he does, this is what Joseph asks of the cupbearer while he's in prison. Only remember me when it's well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now skip all the way down. I think it's verse 23. Do we have that one? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Graham Cook wrote a book about seasons that we go through in life, two of them, over and over with the Lord. And he calls it the season of manifestation and the season of hiddenness. And he says, in a time of manifestation, it's like you feel like you can walk on the water. Everything you touch turns to gold with God. He's there, you feel him, he's everywhere, nothing seems impossible. He said, but then we go through cycles and seasons in our life of hiddenness, where we even doubt if we're saved anymore. We even wonder if God is real. We, we wonder if, well, are we even moving forward anymore? And Graham says that in these seasons of hiddenness, they're actually treasures, but we don't see it that way because it feels like prison. 
It feels like confinement. It feels like you're in a hole in a cave. But what happens is God wants us to process deep truth in these times. Joseph was in one of these times. And one of the greatest temptations that we have to resist if we're in a season of hiddenness is not to maneuver people in our life to get us to the place where we want to go. God will do that. Here's the reality. The cupbearer gets Joseph out of prison, but it's two more years after this moment. Here's the reality. God will maneuver the people in your life to get you where you need to go, but we need to resist the temptation for us to personally maneuver people in our life to get us where we want to go because we don't like the feeling of confinement. Some of us are hidden and that's okay. I want to encourage, listen, that's okay. You're meant to be hidden right now. Sometimes God will hide you in plain sight. Sometimes God will hide you in the middle of a community and that's okay. You have to have a higher revelation of why he's doing that. It's because he's trying to process something with you. He's trying to reveal some truth in your life that he wants you to get. Because when you're in a season of manifestation and things are happening when you're moving, it's hard to process at that time. You can't process it at that time because there's too many things going on. So he gets us into these hidden times, these caves, these hidden places, because he deeply wants to change us from the inside out. So if you're here this morning and you feel confined, you feel restricted, you feel that you are hidden in plain sight, I want you to take heart, be encouraged. You're right where God wants you to be. He didn't make a mistake. My encouragement and advice is don't allow the temptation to maneuver relationships in your life to get you where you need to go. Trust the Lord, depend on him that he will do that. We'll end here, the last one, number five. And when our ambition becomes selfish, whew, we take the credit. But when our ambition is godly, we realize how much God and the people around us deserve the credit. Melanie, can you come back up here, worship team? When our ambition becomes selfish, we take the credit. When our ambition is godly, we realize how much God and the people around us deserve the credit. You can take this scripture home, Proverbs 3, 27. It talks about that when it's in our power to give credit and honor to people in our life, we should not withhold it and give it. It's really easy sometimes to take the credit for ourselves, even though all of us would say, oh, we don't do that. I do not want to do that. But the reality is we do do that. Do you know how we do that the most? What I've learned is that we become so familiar in our friendships, in our relationships, that we forget to say thank you to the people that helped get us there. I want to encourage us this morning for our ambition to remain godly. We want to be able to always give the credit to where and when it's due. Practicing that will be huge. All right, everybody, stand with me. I know those who had to go get their kids go. I, was, I just want to have a time of ministry before we break today. And so, Father, right now, we thank you for your presence in this room. And we thank you for this word. I can't remember how many times, Lord, that my ambition has become selfish. 
self-centered and self-focused. There's times when it does, and I don't even realize it, Lord. And my prayer, Lord, is that we as a body, we as a community, as a church, is that, that we don't forsake our ambition, that we don't forsake our desire to get better, that we don't forsake our desire to set goals, but that we are more cautious and aware to not our ambition to be led through pride and envy, but, but that it's remaining in humility and submission. So this morning, I just want to call you forward this morning. If, if there's a prayer in your heart that you feel like you need to pray to the Lord about this message, whatever it is, just take a moment, come on up, and let's just pray. Let's just seek the Lord right here. There's something about getting out. It's activation. I feel like some of you are hidden and you've really been battling this. That's okay. Come on out. Come on out. Some of you have really been battling that fear of failure. Come on out. Have a word with the Lord. Tell him that you're not gonna let failure keep you down. Ask him for help. Ask him for strength. Declare it over your life. Thank you, Father. 